this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everyone this is david welcome back behind the velvet rope let's just get right into it today because we are joined by new york times best-selling author broadway star entrepreneur star dancer one of barbara walter's 10 most fascinating people in the world a tv legend a gay icon and none the least to say an emmy winner I can't believe I'm saying this. What is my life? The one and only Miss Susan Lucci. Hi, David. How are you, Susan? Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm feeling just great. Thank you. How about you? I am doing well today. Where are you? Are you? You're in Long Island, right? I'm in Long Island. I'm at home. Mm -hmm. So how is your day going so far today? It's going great. Actually, they they were saying a big storm was coming. There was a little thunder uh, and then it was over. There was a storm in New York for like a minute in New York City, and then it was over Over, as well. Well, I have to say, so as I sat down to prepare for this, I look back and I see January 16th, 1970, the beginning of Erica Kane. Now, when, when I say that, and when you think back to you, does that seem like yesterday or does that seem like, who is that girl and when was that? You know, um, it doesn't seem like yesterday, but probably if, if you told me it was 10 years ago, I would believe that. I mean, it, it's, it has flown. Time has gone by so fast. I mean, I was like, oh my God. Did you ever think when you went for that role that you would have a 41-year starring role on one show forever, you know, 41 years? Never. I, in fact, I had to be persuaded by, by my agent at the time to sign that first contract which was for four years. 
Wow. Because four years at that time I had, you know, I just gotten out of college. So four years of high school, four years of college, that's, that's, that was like a whole lifetime. You know, I didn't, I didn't know if I could do that, sign up for anything for four more years. When we're young, doesn't, didn't, didn't four years sound like, wait a second, that's just way too much commitment for anything. Exactly. Yes. Did you, was it always acting for you growing up? Like, did you ever think you wanted to do anything else? I always wanted to be an actress since I can remember, probably before I ever even heard the word actress. I mean, it wow. was just what I did. I, I made up stories and acted all, all the parts and my mother was really nice. She let me go in her top drawer of her dresser and, and get out all her scarves. And um, my uncle had traveled to um, Asia and my mother didn't smoke, but she had this long cigarette holder and she had long silk gloves. And at that time, um, there were these wire things with jewels on them and women used to wear their chignons like Grace Kelly. And my mother would pull her hair back and that's what would hold her chignon. But I could make it a crown. I could make it really anything. Wow, so it really was always acting. Always, and I would put on um, Broadway cast albums that my parents had. And um, I would sing and dance all over the house. And as long as I didn't have my shoes on, my mother would let me jump all over the furniture and pretend I was, you know, dancing. I love it. Do you have, like, what are some of your early memories of being on the set of All My Children, like right in the beginning? You know, you were green. It was your first, you know, big job. Like, what do you remember from that time? Well, I, I remember being really, um, really feeling like I, I was um, under the gun. I was very nervous. Um, I knew I had had really good teachers and, you know, I was doing everything that they were set to, had taught me to do. They were wonderful. But um, we were on the, there were four of us who were playing the high school kids, which was unusual for four kids to be playing, have a major role. Yeah. Uh, Barbara. Anyway, we were on probation. The four of us were on probation for the first five episodes. So, you know, the network could change their mind <laughs> and we knew it. <laughs> so I, for one, was very scared. Do you read, you know, from all those times that, you know, all those years, do you have like a high that sticks out of like all of Erica's storylines? Is there one or two that are just like, that, those are your favorites? Oh, you know, Erica was a really busy character. I was a really lucky actress. Uh, so on a really light note, the other thing that Agnes, I mean, Agnes was so groundbreaking, Agnes Nixon, who created All My Children, and Erica Kane, but she, I mean, as far as I know, before Agnes, there was no real glamour either on daytime television. There was no humor, there was no glamour. It was just a lot of drama, wonderful drama, but she and she also brought in glamour and, and humor. But she had um, the first really uh, light storyline that I loved was a very glamorous one where Erica was a model. And she, I remember that we also went out, out on location and that was unheard of. We shot all over New York City. Um, it was December, it was freezing. Uh, I was in little tiny dresses and uh, lying on marbles, something with a fountain outside of Lincoln Center and up on top of the fountain in front of the Plaza Hotel. And I was in a little chiffon dress and the men below me, I could see them on Fifth Avenue. They were selling chestnuts. They had on parkas. It was some of my best acting because I had to be all, you know, happy and smiling like nothing was there um, in terms of the cold weather. But 
it was so much fun coming down the steps, the grand staircase at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. I mean, I had some wonderful, really wonderful experiences. And also the hair and makeup was very high fashion. And that was very fun. It was fun. You know, this was a fantasy come true. This was exciting to do. Um, and then there were the, of course, the more serious storylines, um, which, you know, as an actress, I was very grateful to have too. Uh, Two of them involved Bianca at different ages. The one actually that won the Emmy for was the um, the uh, time where the the eleven year old Bianca uh, came was saying that she had anorexia, and we did an intervention. Uh, the I would say the storyline that I'm most proud of is when the sixteen year old Bianca came out to Erica, and. Agnes and her writers wrote this storyline in real time. So it was a two year journey and uh, it was so well, so well done, so well cast. I love Eden Regal who played Bianca and it, it had impact. It had impact on the, on the, the world. It, so It did, like, I mean, as a gay man and a member of the gay community and like, you know, I have a ton of lesbian friends. Like that's the first thing they say when I told them I was speaking to you, they're like, you have to talk about Bianca. And I mean, that storyline just still stands out to people. Thank you. I mean, you know, you also had some food fights and you wrestled a bear <laughs> and you buried some people in the backyard. I mean, th there were those stories too, of course. <laughs> which, were, which were wonderful and so much fun. I mean, when they told me I was going to fight a grizzly bear and win, I thought oh, I, I would try anything in rehearsal. I always will, always do with. And uh, at the time, I just remember saying to Jackie Babin, who was our producer at the time, we were way up north in, uh, in Canada, uh, about two and a half hours north of, of, uh, of Toronto in a place called Peterborough, I think it was. And it was on the, on the Great Lakes. And anyway, it was a very hot, humid July day. And um, there was the bear and his trainer. Wow. And uh, I said to Jackie, so I'm going to fight this grizzly bear and win. And she said, yeah, just try it. And I said, don't you think we've gone too far this time? She said, no, just try it. So I said, of course, okay, I'll try it. Anyway, the bear was being kept cool in a stream. And then the trainer got the bear out and he was groaning. He did not want to work. And I'm thinking, oh, great. <laughs> How am I going to win this? And anyway, I tried it. They, that was it. And we did the scene and um, it turned out to be a classic, I think, in the fans' um, delight level. They really loved it. It's just like, what's happening? Erica, of course she's going to win against a bear. Like that makes total sense, <laughs> right? I mean, what was there anything, you know, like I know you also dealt with like you guys had the first legal abortion on TV, which was another like really serious storyline. What about, was there anything that jumped the shark or was it the bear where you're just like, I think we went too far here, guys. Like, I, I need to speak to someone. Yeah, I, I, I um, it, it, well, there was a, a time where I think when Phil came back from Vietnam and he wanted Erica to be barefoot and pregnant all the time. And there were actually scenes where Erica was ripping out ads from the newspaper about houseplants. And I remember thinking, this does not, and I would say, I said, you know, I'm, I'll do this, but this does not seem like Erica at all. And uh, in fact, she um, didn't stay in that chained in place for very long. She, she went up going to New York and resuming her modeling career and 
burst into song in Brandon Kingsley's office, Kingsley's office, you know, New York, New York, that's where she belonged. Between that and like wrestling the bear, that's where it's just like, this is amazing. Well, like you said, like Agnes Nixon was so groundbreaking. I mean, how great was it to work with her all those years? Oh, it was, it was amazing to work with her all these years. And even from the beginning, I mean, when I saw my audition script, it was an eight page scene, knock down, drag out fight between Erica and her long suffering, but very sensible mother, Mona played by, you know, Fra Heflin, who I just adored. And, um, Erica was 15 at the time, and, and she was getting ready for her math uh, tutor to come over, who was Phil Brent, who was very handsome. Erica was into collecting uh, boyfriends, and especially if he was somebody else's. And Phil and Tara was a very beloved couple, so Erica wanted to break them up. And uh, to get ready for this math tutor, Phil Brent, Erica was you know, putting on her makeup, her mascara in her mirror, and her mother kept saying, but Erica, it's math. Don't you think you should be studying math? And Erica was as many 15 year old girls are with their mothers. Uh, and I speak from experience, right? <laughs> you know, not always in agreement. And my own mother and I would watch these scenes, you know, when they aired and we would laugh because, and I guess a lot of people identified with all, all of those stages of relationships. And at the same time, even in the audition script, there was history, there was, as I said, the knockdown drag out, but you could always tell there was love between that mother and daughter. It's great. Yeah, it was one of the great relationships of the show. Well, speaking of relationships and math tutors and having crushes (laughs) on boys, I mean, Erica certainly said I do plenty of times. Yes. I mean, to me. She meant it every time. She meant it when she said it. (laughs) She she was hopeful. That's literally what I was going to ask you, because to me, to me, she meant it every time, right? I mean, that's like she believed it and she meant it every single time. Yes. She did. So, I mean, Erica might be one of our most hopeless romantics. Oh, yes, definitely. And and it's very funny because she also just had a great deal of uh, spirit in her that was driving her. And she was a very, she wasn't after power, so to speak. She was much more after love, but she turned out to be really good at running businesses and, and, and being an entrepreneur. And, uh, it, but it was not her focus, but um, she had a lot of spirit and she could do all of that. She was actually much more successful in her business ventures than she was in her personal life. Yes, she was. <laughs> do you have a favorite husband of Erica's? You know, that's a really, really hard question to answer because, you know, I was a really lucky actress to play, uh, all these scenes with those men. The, you know, the Dimitri relationship was very romantic, um, very romantic. We, we shot some of the most romantic scenes and we, we, we shot in Budapest in Hungary in, uh, in a palace and uh, waltz in this palace and all of that. And that experience in real time because it was before the, um, before the, the wall came down, before it was, the communists had just left, actually left Budapest. Wow. So what was going on really around us was not romantic, but quite historical and quite amazing to be there. Um, also, Travis was was very romantic. Uh, uh, one day, Jorn <laughs> Winter was our producer, and we started early in the morning at a racetrack in uh, Bridgehampton. There used to be a racetrack there. 
And actually, Danny Sullivan, who was the you know iconic indie 500 race car driver winner, uh, came out to show me how to actually look like I knew what I was doing because Erica was supposed to win this race, this amazing race car. And he showed me how to get in and out easily, how to put on all the gear. And, and then that same night, we flew to South Carolina and at one o'clock in the morning, or maybe it was two, Travis and I were dancing in a garden, in a plantation. There had to be a thousand votive candles all over the lawn. Um, also very romantic. So yes, Erica, Erica was in love with love. She had some good, she had some good ones. She did. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Do you ever ask yourself why are so many dogs suffering with health issues? Well, actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 1,600 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, says there's one place we can look to support any dog's health, their food. So she decided to create something she could actually feel good about feeding her dogs, and it's called Superfood Complete. Superfood Complete is the only food I use for the dog in my life, Doherty. Why? Because Doherty's health is so important to me. Doherty is so picky. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But he loves this dog food. What do I love best about Superfood Complete? The fact that it's made with over 30 of the healthiest ingredients on the planet. But don't take my word for it. Go to badlandsranch.com velvet in order right now to get 50% off your regular priced order with a 90-day money-back guarantee. If you want your dog to experience all these incredible things, go to B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S ranch.com slash velvet today. It's sandal season, and that's something I used to wait all year for. But now with the new Croc-style sandals, I embrace those feel-good summer vibes all year long. And you can too. I love Croc's new getaway sandals. With their new feel-free technology, they're so light and soft, it feels like you don't have shoes on at all. It's like walking on clouds. They're Brooklyn sandals. They're so stylish and sophisticated. They have a classic style and a modern simplicity. And let's not forget their new Miami sandals. They're an elevated silhouette and they have a slight lift, which I love. So thanks to Crocs, these aren't just sandals for a single season. You can wear them year-round. And that's what I love best about Crocs because being this comfortable transcends a single season or a single vacation or even a single moment. It's a mindset. Thank you, Crocs. And right now you get 20% off your next purchase at crocs.com. Just use the code sandals20 at checkout. That's sandals20 at crocs.com for 20% off your purchase. Do you remember Tuesday, September 20th, 2016? Because we do. Because it's the day This Is Us premiered after more than 70 million of you watched our trailer and made our show go viral. I'm Mandy Moore. I am Chris Sullivan. And I am Sterling Brown. We are your hosts of That Was Us, a rewatch podcast starting May 14th. Listen to our episodes wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll be able to watch our episodes on the That Was Us YouTube channel.
What about, so we talk about 41 year apart. It's amazing. Then there's this cultural phenomenon of you in the Emmy. We talked about that, you know, what was that like for you as you were going through it? I mean, did any part of you say, I don't need to win. Like this has now become bigger than winning the Emmy itself. I mean, it was such a big thing. Or were you just like, come on guys, I want to win. (laughs) You know, there was so much work at hand every day during all those years from year to year. And I can't speak for every show, but our show didn't um, talk about it. It's just that we did all this, these scenes and the company of actors was amazing at all my children. And we would, you know, we really wanted the scenes to work. That's what we were doing. But on the other hand, when it came time for the nominations to come out, and I often didn't know when they were coming out, and that was good because then you get all very breathless, but you have to go do your work, you know? So right. when I would hear I was nominated, I was thrilled. I was thrilled. And uh, then came the process of choosing what to submit. And the submission rules were a little different from year to year or maybe every couple of years, how many scenes, one scene, how many scenes, three shows, one show, so on. So it was always a challenge. Um, on the other hand, I was, I was so thrilled to be included. And every year, I mean, 19 is a lot of years. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, but I was very thrilled every year. I do know that after the ninth year, for some reason, I just, I sort of would go numb at the Emmy, the Emmys when they would say who won. I, I, I didn't ever really hear it. Um, I would be whipped into a frenzy. I would go there with the press and with the fans and was thrilled that they cared, you know, that they were rooting for me. Um, and I would get very excited and very hopeful. And, uh, but 19 years is, is a lot of years. I will say it's much better to win. but you can't win if you're not nominated. So it was all good. I mean, I assume 19, you know, but then, you know, you get this standing ovation. You are up there. You got emotional as you should. I mean, how does that feel just to see the reception from like your peers and like, I I will never forget that. Um, I mean, I'll tell you, I have told the story before, but I, I will tell you when we, when we, it was in the garden that year. Uh, usually we were in Radio City, but Radio City was closed for renovations. So the Emmys were in uh, Madison Square Garden. And when I sat down, I was seated in the front row. My husband and I came in and we were seated and sitting to my left was Rosie O'Donnell. And she leaned over when I sat down and she said, Susan, when you go up on stage tonight, why don't you hand me your evening bag? Because otherwise they'll say your name, you'll get all excited, you'll step on your evening bag and that won't be good on TV. So I said, thank you, Rosie. That's so nice of you kind of you, but, you know, history has pretty much taught me that I'm not going up on that stage right. tonight, but I, I'm hopeful person, but, you know, I didn't really think so. Anyway, um, when it came time and Shamar Moore was opening the envelope and he was so charming, um, he opened the envelope. As I said, we were in Madison Square Garden that night. So he opened the envelope and he screamed out, the streak is over. And I thought he was announcing some playoff scores. And I thought, isn't that nice? He's keeping everybody in the audience up to date with, you know, because basketball, uh, hockey, it all keeps on going in May. Um, Anyway, when he said, uh, I think he said the diva, winning diva is, and he said my name, I didn't hear my name. 
as I told you, I had gone numb after the ninth time. But the only way I knew I won is that Rosie O'Donnell leaned over and took my evening bag. My husband lifted me up by my by my elbow. And I whispered in his ear, if anybody saw the broadcast, they saw me do that. And I, I asked him, are you sure? Because really, because <laughs> I never would hear it, I kept thinking, oh my goodness, sometime I'm just not gonna, I'm just gonna go up and that will be terrible. He said, yes, it's you. And um, he, I went up on stage and as I was going up, I thought my knees, I can feel everything's, my knees are buckling. I don't know how I'm gonna stand, how I'm gonna turn around, how I'm gonna speak. The night before, I had thought to myself, everybody's saying, this is my year, this is my year. But it wasn't the first time. And I just, I thought, well, if it is my year, I would have so many people to thank. And I don't want to forget anybody or any, anything. I'm so grateful. And uh, so I allowed myself to kind of go through, you know, who I would want to thank. And um, when I got up there and turned around, and saw the audience, as you said, my peers, the people who worked just as hard as we did at All My Children and I did, on their feet applauding for me and some people with tears and Oprah Winfrey and the wings jumping up and down applauding. And I just hoped I could speak. And uh, and so I started to thank the people and, and I had so many to thank. And honestly, I'm so grateful to Kelly Ripa who was center in my vision, in that audience. And she was saying, because they started to play the music. Right. You know, I had so many, 19 years, I had a lot of people. Think, and I wanted to thank my children. And I wanted to thank my husband. And Kelly was saying, let her speak, let her talk. And so they, they let me uh, go on and thank my children and my husband. I remember it, but I rewatched the video yesterday too. And oh. I was getting emotional. I was like, this is just such a great moment. So... Yeah. Did you, I mean, did you really think you were just never going to win? I mean, you know, 19 years, a long time, or it just, like you said, it was about the work and it wasn't like at the forefront of your mind, but it's nice to win. Right. Did you really just think it would never happen for you? You know, I would never say never. And I am an optimistic person. You know, I'm a hopeful person and I loved the character and I was getting so much support from everyone around me all the time that I thought, well, maybe, but uh, as I said to Rosie, history's taught me, you know, so I was on, I never, I, I wasn't sure. You just weren't sure. Uh-uh. Is there anything, you know, like I've spoken to so many actresses that have played parts for like so long. Was there any part of you, like, as you were playing Eric, and I know you did other things like throughout that and after certainly, which we're going to get into, was there any part of you that worried like, okay, I'm getting typecast. There's other things I want to do. I mean, all my children, that part, I mean, it was all encompassing. It was great. And this is, there's no shade. I'm just saying like, as an actress, were you like, oh, I wish I could just do that for like two months and come back was, and you did some of that and we'll talk about it. But like, was there more of that that we don't know about? I, I was aware that I was being typecast, but on the other hand, um, I loved playing her so much. And I have to say not a bad type, you know? So I, I was, I was fine, but I knew that I had to do uh, something else. I didn't think I could um, call myself truly an actress if I only played one part, even though there was so much range within Erica. You know, I was given this enormous gift of a character to play, but I didn't. I knew I had to play other other roles in order to be okay with calling myself an actress. 
That makes sense. What about, you know, if you talk to most people and you say, like, who is the most famous character in daytime TV history? Who is the most, like, well-known actress? It's Erica Kane and Susan Lucci. There's mm-hmm. lots of others, but that is what people will say. I guarantee you, Susan, 99.9 out of 100 people would say that. So how does that feel? I mean, is that a lot of pressure, like, over the years to be number one on the call sheet? I mean, I know it was an ensemble show and everybody was great. Like, is there that pressure? And just does that feel great that it's just such an iconic role and you've turned into such an iconic actress? Thank you. I knew, I knew this character, this role was as good as it gets. And I had no desire to think otherwise. I mean, I loved what I did. And, and it's funny. I mean, Every time my contract would come up, I would honestly take a good hard look at, was I really happy? Uh, 25 years in, I remember one day, because my inside voice, I'd go into the studio, I'd be laughing, I'd be happy, I'd be smiling, I'd be singing inside. And I was thinking, something wrong with me? I've been here for such a long time. And right. I, love what I love what I'm doing. Loved everybody I was working with. Um, not to sound like a Pollyanna and not to sound like somebody who's just, you know, stupid. I, um, I did look at it and, and I was really happy. Uh, it also really uh, staying in New York was something I wanted to do. And I wanted my children to have continuity in their growing up, uh, which I was able to, to give them, which made me very happy. Uh, and, um, you know, th- those things all added up. Also, I, I, Grew up in New York, I mean, on Long Island, but in, in New York. And so Broadway was it for me. And uh, so to work with a lot of actors who were on Broadway and uh, as, as day players or small arcs or large arcs, but who, had, you know, that's who they were. I knew I was working with the best actors in the world. Right. What about, you know, the end of All My Children? You know, 41 years, were you... I shocked when you heard about this. How does that, I mean, that must feel like a, that's a hard thing after that many years. I was shocked. I think we all were shocked. Uh, there have been rumors about maybe our moving. We moved to LA for the last two years and we were told that if we made that move, we would save the show. Right. And we, we, we believed that. And also um, I had the book that you referenced in that nice introduction you gave me uh, had, was, had just come out. And I was, uh, I was on the book tour and I was all over the country. And everywhere I went, everywhere, the fans were amazing, passionate, amazing, huge crowds. It was wonderful. So <clears throat> I could go back to the All My Children studio and tell our cast and crew what I had just seen that there was so much love for our show. The numbers had not diminished at all. Uh, and uh, so anyhow, when it happened, we, we were all pretty shocked. Agnes actually called me uh, around four o'clock in the morning and she, she gave me a heads up on it. She had just been given a heads up on it. And wow. so when I went to the studio that morning, we were in LA at that time. When I went to the studio that morning, um, I was called uh, shortly after I arrived to go down to the um, producers, executive producer's office. And, uh, and then I was told, you know, what was going on uh, by, by the head of um, ABC Daytime at the time, Brian Fromm's, uh, told, told me um, 
and Julie Crothers was sitting there, just the three of us in the room. He told me that they were going to, uh, All My Children was no longer going to be on the air and One Life to Live was no longer going to be on the air, that he was doing um, uh, cooking shows. Uh, at least that's what was going to replace us. And it would be much less expensive to produce, 40% less to produce. So that's wow. why he was making his decision. So I was really shocked. Um, I was uh, very upset for everyone, everyone, everyone. I mean, this was really an ensemble, meaning the crew as well. And, uh, and the writers and the executives, uh, the production staff, everybody. And so I felt bad on so many levels. Also, it seemed so unnecessary and so uncalled for given the, what I had just been experiencing all around right. the country. In fact, those fans crashed the ABC computer system, trying to voice their displeasure to say the least at having all my children uh, canceled. And I know that for a fact because Agnes told me that the number to call <laughs> And so I did. And, and the message said to um, voice your uh, upset at having all my children um, canceled, press one. For all other ABC business, press blah, 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 blah. So it was huge. Wow. Um, but I, I was, we were all very, very shocked. It was, it was like, it was, it was really um, a mourning period. We, I, we were very angry too, very angry. And then you, then you go into, you know, there's shock and disbelief and denial and, and, uh, and just, just wanting to keep on putting a good show on, you know? Yeah. Especially when there was so much love from the fans as you were traveling yes. around. Yes. Once you get over like the shock and the loss and that period, then do you turn or did you turn to like now? I mean, you are Susan Lucci. Like, do you or do you turn to like, I'm worried, like I, I need a job. I still want to work. I've got more in me or, you know, I mean, it worked out. You got devious maids pretty quickly. But did you go through that? Like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Or you're like, hey, guys, it's 41 years. You know what? I could hang out for a few years and recover. And like, that's a long time to work nonstop. Um, that actually, I, it never occurred to me that it was a long time to work nonstop until COVID, until we were, had this pause, until we went into lockdown. I didn't know what a pause was until then. And now I look back and I think, oh, wow. I mean, we really were on roller skates. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, Jill Larson, who played um, Opal, and I would cross, I mean, everybody is in hair and makeup and running around and costume fittings, and, and they're calling our names on the loudspeaker and to go to the set. And I would see Jill in the distance, and she would say, hi, I love you. We, we can't make eye contact. We'd love to talk, but we have to go. You know, you just, there was no time. And um, that was too much, you know? And I remember saying to my agent at one point, well, you know, I'd love to just find a balance. And she said to me, oh, you want a balance too, oh. <laughs> so I heard recently, actually the wonderful woman CEO of PepsiCo um, say that it's impossible as a working mother, wife to find balance, but it is a constant juggling act and that, and that it is. 
This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check out betterhelp.com slash velvetrobe. You may not be feeling down and out and depressed or like you're at a total loss, but if your stress level is high, your temper is shorter than usual, or even if you're starting to feel strained in any of your relationships, you could probably use the chance to unload. Talk to someone who's completely unbiased and who's not going to judge you or take sides. If there's stuff you can't tell your friends or family, this is the place to do it. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain for it. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Behind the Velvet Rope listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. That's B E T T E R H E L P dot com slash velvet rope. Betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. But apart from that, in terms of wanting to continue as an actress, I was thrilled to meet with Mark Cherry. I was thrilled that he said, well, I didn't know. The fans, again, were all over the internet saying they wanted me to go on Desperate Housewives. And, and we met. And he said, I know. He said, I know they do. But he said, it's, it is, you don't know this, but it's the last season. It's already written and it's already shot. But he said, I have a new show coming up. And so he thought of me for that. What was that like when you first read the part for Jean Vievre? Oh. Delator. <laughs> Thank you for remembering that name. I thought to myself, oh. hmm, if I'm going to follow Erica Kane, Jean Vievre Delator is a pretty, pretty good name, at least. Um, and I didn't, I went out to read for Mark because that's part of, I went out to LA to read for Mark uh, and the producer. And that's part of his process, which I get. You know, it's one thing to like someone's work, and it's another thing to um, know if you can work together and how that will be. And so I was in uh, their offices and uh, I didn't know how he was going to pronounce it. I mean, I was just reading. Nobody told me it was Genevieve. I thought, is it Genevieve? What, how, how is that going to be? And I walked into his office and before we, we did the scene, he and the stage manager and I did the scene. He, um, he said, well, Genevieve, blah, blah. And Genevieve said, oh, Mark, you have just told me so much about this character, just by the way you pronounce her name, it was it was a, a great experience. I, I loved doing it. And I thought, I love this so much that even if I don't get the part at the end of the day, I loved doing this. It was so much fun. Another great part, right? jean was phenomenal. I mean, the whole show, again, great cast, total ensemble, but jean was just a fan favorite right from the beginning. Oh, thank you. I, I'm so happy to, to, you know, that surprised me about Erica too, because Erica was the naughty girl in town and uh, I, I liked her. I, I thought I wanted to play her, but um, I didn't know if anybody else would. I was, I was only supposed to be on it every other Tuesday in the beginning, you know, just to stir the pot. But um, yeah, the fans embraced her and yes, they, they embraced Jean-Vievre, which was great. If Jean-Vievre and Erica got an, um, like a tassel of some sort. It's not physical, just like a power of wits. Who, who would win? Who's better at <laughs> manipulating? Uh, well, first of all, it might've been physical, <laughs> but um, Erica would have won. I think she was the one 
who had the um, the street smarts too. Jean Viev Moore was living in a Beverly Hills bubble um, behind the, the gates and uh, Zoila was the realist and uh, Jean Viev was just, you know, in her own world. And, you know, there's all this talk today with all these shows about like diversity and inclusion and like so many shows have come so far. You look at like Shonda Rhimes and Ryan Murphy, but you know, I mean, it wasn't 20 years ago, but Devious Maids, I put in the category of a show that was technically ahead of its time. That Yes, yes, I agree with you. And and uh, in the case of uh, Les Genevieve and Zoila, um, Zoila was the one with all the uh, intelligence about how you live your life. You know, it was Genevieve who was out there. Zoila really ran that house, didn't she? Oh, she sure did. She sure did. But I have to say one of my favorite scenes I ever got to play was the opening scene of Jean Viev under the bed uh, in her mansion, uh, crying uh, because she felt like she was she was losing her life and uh, her son and daughter, uh, well, not her daughter, but Zoila's daughter and Zoila had to talk her off the ledge. That was a classic scene. Mm-hmm. Another highlight for me of your career, you talk about things you did during All My Children, was the last season of Dallas. Oh. Uh, Dallas was a great show. A great a, show. A great show. And again, one the fans adored. Uh, it was what everyone talked about around the water cooler, if you will, you know. And uh, yeah, they called and asked if I would like to do the last um, uh, bit of Dallas. And uh, we have to shoot in Paris. Are, are you want to do that? And so, you know, oh, let, let me think about this. Right. <laughs> I was like, yes, I want to do that. So we, we went to Paris and uh, it was August, actually. And um, it, was, it was a wonderful experience in many, many ways. Uh, Patrick Duffy is who I worked with mostly. And he was a doll. Uh, his family was there. Uh, he had teenage boys uh, our children were younger, and so they weren't with us, but my husband was with me. And I had some wonderful experiences, of course, doing the show, but it was also Fashion Week in Paris. And so Patrick and I got to go to a couple of shows, and I, nice. had, I hadn't been to anything like that before. It was spectacular. And also, I got to go to Chanel in Paris. Uh, there's more than one, but I went to the one I had been told about. And um, for the first time, I bought something from Chanel uh, there. But while I was there um, by myself, my husband uh, was uh, playing golf and it was a really hot, hot day, but it was August. And so I saw something I liked very much. And, uh, but I had never bought anything from Chanel before. So I asked the saleswoman uh, if she could hold it until my husband met me in about an hour. And I wanted him to see it too and see what he thought. And she said, um, yes, I can do that. And she was holding the things up. And as she moved away to go put them on the side, she revealed that Sophia Loren was sitting in the chair at the cash register, cashier, saleswoman, whatever, uh, sitting in a chair. As I said, it was so hot. Sophia Loren is someone I admired my whole life and still do. In any case, she was sitting there on this hot summer day. I can tell you, I still remember. She was more beautiful in person. She had on a sky blue silk dress with a low neckline, like square, and elbow length sleeves and 
she was gorgeous. And I was so thrilled because when you see someone you've idolized so much, I was not a bit disappointed. In fact, as I said, she was more beautiful. And we were the only people in the shop because it was August in Paris, everyone was gone. Uh, in any case, I, I didn't want to interrupt her private time. Um, so, but I could feel my face. I was smiling. Of course, I adored her. And um, she must have felt someone smiling and she looked up and she smiled and then I left because I said I didn't want to speak. I probably couldn't have spoken. I was so thrilled to see her. Do you ever regret not saying something to her? You know, I had a chance a couple of years later to um, be in her company. Uh, several years later, I was at the White House actually um, for a state dinner for, uh, for the um, president of Italy. And um, I was in the, um, I think the East Room. And Bill Clinton was, was the president at the time. And when my husband and I arrived, we were given envelopes where, where, which tables we were at. We were not put at the same table. My husband was at table one. I was at table 10. And my husband looked at the envelopes and he said, oh, honey, I'm sorry, there must be some mistake. And that I'm at table one and you're at table 10. And as we went into the room, um, he took me to my seat at table 10, which turned out to be the president's table right there. Uh, center. And he was at table one, as he will tell you, way off in the boonies by the kitchen door. <laughs> right. Which, you know, I said, oh, honey, now I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, so I was seated at the president's table. At the table next to me with Hillary Clinton, who was then the first lady, uh, was Sophia Loren. And I hadn't seen her since I saw her for the first time in Paris. This was the second and the only other time I saw her. She had on a red gown. She had just flown in. She looked stunning as always. And then we were introduced and then I could say how much I admired her. Did you say, you know, we've met before kind of one day in Paris at Chanel? No, I don't think I, you know, I, I, I think there were other people who were taking her attention. I was just one of the throngs you know, saying, aren't you wonderful? I love you. What about the other way around? Like when people come up to you, I mean, like, have you ever had like a strange fan interaction and like, you know, does that get overwhelming at times? I would imagine, you know, there's so many, you have so many fans. Erica has so many fans. And do people confuse the two also? Like, do people come up to you not realizing that you're Susan Lucci and you've done so many other things, Broadway, written books, like you're, you're not Erica Kane? Um, you know, first of all, I've been very lucky. I, I can, you know, count on one hand with fingers left over the, the odd experiences I've had. Um, people are mostly very enthusiastic and really warm and very informed. Wow, people have such a good memory. And, um, and their passion is the same as that we were still on the air, which helped me get through that whole morning period. I knew I didn't have to leave her behind, that she was still with us, much like you would mourn you know, a loved one. You realize right. they're, they're still with you. They'll always be with you. And that, that was a help. And the fans have helped me, helped me through that. Um, no, that's, that's been a great thing. What about Dancing with the Stars? Where does that fall on the realm of difficult things you have done in your career? Oh, my goodness. Oh, this was hair raising. I was so happy to do it. I was so happy they asked me and so happy I did it. On the other hand, I had to do um, all my children as well. 
So I was back and forth between the both coasts, New York, LA, LA, New York twice a right. week. And um, that turned out to be a big schedule. But Cameron, Cameron Matheson had done it the season before. So um, Cameron showed me the ropes, told me which flights to take. And, uh, and I wanted to do it. I wanted so much to do it. And so then you're faced with a challenge and you want to be up to the challenge. Um, I will say that every time, and now, I mean, I, I admire the, the way they produce Dancing with the Stars because they change it up a little bit each season. Yeah. And that season, um, they were still announcing the name of uh, your name, now dancing the cha-cha, it's man with a British accent. And I, my heart would be pounding because going back and forth all the time like that, for me, I, I never felt that I really had choreography uh, in my body as a dancer, we'll say, you know, the way I should. Um, at the same time, I wouldn't have traded the experience for anything. I was thrilled to be there. So much fun in hair and makeup. You know, the first day, you know, to go into that big place where they store some of the costumes yeah it's like a kid in a candy store it's a little girl's dream uh but there are seamstresses who make those costumes by hand every week the designer designs them the assistants come with wrecks of swarovski crystals and this room full of these very talented seamstresses are there sewing and when I would get off the plane early Saturday morning, the costume designer would just do a little tweaking. He wouldn't have to do that, but he just was, he saw all the details, which was phenomenal. Um, the first day I was there, uh, I was doing the cha-cha. I was doing two dances that season, the first night we had to do two dances. And with the cha-cha, they said, well, um, oh, everyone went to the tanning. Everyone went to get tan. And I said, no, I, I have olive skin. I'll be fine doing the cha-cha. And they said, well, we can put Swarovski crystals up into your hairline and, and all that. And I said, no, it's okay. Just give me a really smoky eye. I'll be fine. And I did the first night. Everybody else had been to tanning. I looked so washed out. I looked was ridiculous. <laughs> so the next day I was like, where do I go for tanning? And what were you saying about Swarovski crystals into my, into my hairline? I, then I was like a monster. You couldn't stop. I just wanted those crystals on my eyes all the time. The crystals funny. are addicting, right? Yes. <laughs> would you ever do it again? Like if they did like another all-star season and they, your, your phone rang, would you ever go back? I would. I think about that sometimes. I think I would. Do you watch it now that like... Tyra's the host. And I mean, it's changed a little bit. It has changed. Um, it has changed. I will tell you, honestly, I'm, uh, my husband and I are addicted to the voice. And unfortunately, it's so sad that they're opposite each other. So we, you know, we flip back and forth, but I'm not as uh, conversant in uh, Dancing with the Stars right now that I used to be. Are you loving Ariana Grande on The Voice? I love her on The Voice. She is adorable. And uh, I mean, apart from being an amazing talent, she's so charming and so, so funny. I like her. I think she's like a great addition for the show. I agree. Like she's really, would you ever, you know, I know that he says that it's one of the greatest moments of his life and it's pretty much changed his career as Andy Cohn interning at CBS interviewing you. When you look at like Andy Cohen, are you just like, can you believe what he's become? Like, I mean, he's, he's done it, right? I can believe it. 
because when he wrote me that letter, he was in college and yeah. he wrote me a letter asking for an interview. And there was something about that letter. Um, I called my publicist and I, I told her about the letter. And I said, I would like to have lunch with him. I, I would like that. She said, you, you do? I said, yeah. One of those days where I have a longer lunch hour, let's, let's try to make that happen. So Andy came down, we met. The lunch hours weren't that long, but I, you know, I said, do you like Mexican? Can we go to Santa Fe? It was within walking distance of the studio. And we did. And we had such a good time. And at that time, he wanted to be um, a news anchor. He wanted to be an anchor. And I was sure he would be. I said, someday you're going to be the head of the London Bureau. And I'm going to see you when you come back. I'm going to be watching you, Andy Cohen. I know you're going to do this. And then as time went on, um, he was an executive at CBS. And I would be at CBS doing a, a talk show or something. And I would run into Andy from time to time, but didn't really see him again until after all my children, actually. And uh, I met him at his office in New York. And I knew that I remembered our first meeting and going to Santa Fe. And I had a photo from us then, but I'd never thought that he would remember because now he had done, you know, all of the housewives um, empire. And uh, I was in his office and he has a big bulletin board behind. And there was the same picture that I have. And some, well, he told me, he said, you know, you're the first and last chapter in my book. I had no idea. And it was so adorable how, how anybody ever got, it was the eighties when Andy and I met, how anybody got both of us with our hair in the same photo. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. It's an iconic picture and the hair is very eighties. <laughs> yes, It's very eighties. Well, <laughs> you know, you do live in long Island and we have a housewives of New York. So, I mean, if Andy Cohn called you and said, would you ever consider being a real housewife of New York, Susan? Well, I would work for Andy anytime, any place. I would, I never thought about being a housewife of, of anywhere, but um, I would give it a whirl. For Andy, of course, I would give it a whirl. Are you like into the, like, do you watch any reality TV? Like, I know the voice, the competitions. Do you get into any of the other stuff, like the Kardashians? Or like, are you ever just like, you know, look at this reality juggernaut. I mean, I know it's been around for a minute, but it's really hit new heights in the past five to 10 years. It really has. I know. And I understand that you could really, people can get very um, intrigued. I did check out the Kardashians. Um, I do something called celebrity autobiography from time to time. Well, I, I know that because I have seen you in it from time to you time. Have The triad theater, baby. Oh, wow. Yes. You've read Kim Kardashian's. I have played Kim. Um, yes. And so I wanted to check out, you know, how she is because I was going to play her. And um, I, I really, I could have become, my schedule has never been the same every day, every week. And so I have not been able to give in to any kind of possible addiction. Uh, but I could see why people were hooked on, on Kardashian's. It's don't go down that road because it's a long road and it's very addicting. Yes. My mother used to watch The Bachelor. 
And I used to say, but mom, you know, there's a lot of production going on, you know, it's not all what you see. She just was hooked. She loved that. I found it kind of adorable that she was watching The Bachelor. She's like, please don't tell me about the production. Just let me, it's like willful blindness. Like, you know, but you don't want to know. Exactly. Do you love doing celebrity autobiography and other things you've done like on Broadway? Like, do you love a live audience? I love a live audience and celebrity autobiography we have done, you know, in Guildhall and East Hampton and um, uh, gosh, different places uh, around the New York area and Broadway actually last, well, I always say last year, it wasn't everything is a year and a half or two years ago. Um, and I love it. I get to play Ivana Trump in her own words and Elizabeth Taylor. At the same time, somebody's playing, you, you've seen it, say, you know, Eddie Fisher, somebody's doing Debbie Reynolds, and uh, it's a wonderful Rashomon kind of thing. And it was the most, uh, uh, you know, the most known around the world a love affair ever. And so really fun to do that. And I loved playing Liz Taylor, loved playing Ivana Trump, loved playing Kim Kardashian. So yes, Liberty Autobiography gives, gives all of us a chance to really stretch. And also I love doing comedy. So really fun to do that. Um, actually made my Broadway debut in Annie Get Your Gun. And that was a thrill of a lifetime. Thrill of a lifetime. Work with the original company. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. What about, you know, Eileen Davidson and like Lisa Rinna just did, they just did Days of Our Lives, Beyond Salem. It was like a week-long streaming. It was like a reboot of some sorts. It was for a week. And it was Days of Our Lives and it was a lot of the original cast. Do you wow. think, and it did really well in the streaming ratings, however that works. Like, do you think- is All My Children prime for a week-long beyond Pine Valley? Well, you know, that's, I, I didn't know that about Days of Our Lives, um, and they are wonderful. Uh, Irene Davidson, Elisa Rinna. Um, there has been no talk of that as far as I know. Um, I'm somebody who doesn't like to talk about something until I'm on the set actually doing it, but it was leaked that there is a show in the works um, called Pine Valley that Kelly... Rippa and Mark Consuelos will be producing. And um, that sounds really interesting because it's, it's, it's very, very cleverly done. And it, it, it takes uh, into account uh, the characters who the audience loves. And it puts some new characters in there that keeps it very fresh. So I, I'm, I'm excited to see if that really goes. And if it goes, you'll be a part of this. Erica Kane will be a part of it. They tell me, yes. And I told them, yes, I'm interested. Well, that's like the best news I've heard all month. <laughs> Thank you. What advice would you give yourself if you look back now to 1970, your first day on All My Children, knowing what you know now? Mm. Well, it's easy for me to talk now, you know, looking back, I, I would say relax. On the other hand, Probably all that care that went in to the work is a good thing. Um, but I would, I would, I was very shy growing up. And so I would 
I would probably say to my younger self, you know, don't be so shy, you know. That's good advice. How much of Erica Kane is in Susan Lucci or vice versa? Yeah, it is vice versa. It's, it works both ways. Um, yeah, it just depends on the day. You know, I will say that if there's going to be a lot of Erica Kane in me one day, I will give my family members fair warning. You know, I'll say this is not a good day, but I think there's Erica Kane in everybody. You know, she's somebody who wants what she wants when she wants it. That's yesterday. And uh, I think at our core, we're all, we all feel like that, but we just go to school, we get civilized, we're told you can't be like that. So we pull in our horns and we try to be nice. But I think Erica was everybody's opportunity to let their inside voice out. (laughs) I agree. And I think that's why she's so beloved and people just loved her and hated her and loved to hate her. It's like, I think it just, we all got to live through Erica Kane. Yes. I mean, she did some things I don't know about, you know, Take, you know, rolling up the body in the Persian rug and burying him in the garden. That might have been gone a little bridge too far, but everything else. We may not do, we may not all do that every day, right? (laughs) Right. As we wrap up, if they were going to make a movie on your life, like if you look at, you know, like an Ariana Grande or like some of these like, you know, younger actresses, they wanted to cast you with like, you know, like in your beginning of your career when you started, like, is there any actress that comes to the top of your mind where you're like, she could play Susan Lucci. Well, you know, when I saw it, when I watch Ariana Grande on The Voice, it does occur to me. I think she would be very good. Uh, the other one um, who has struck me, who would be good to play me, would be um, would be uh, Camila Carbello. Camila Carbello, yeah. Uh, both of them would would have a lot of. Uh, juice, <laughs> I think. They could play it all. Uh-huh. Is there anything that you want to leave us with that I, first of all, you know, I really, really, really thank you very much for taking your time and doing this. I speak to a lot of people, but, you know, every now and then it's personal for me. So I just want to say, like, I, even if you gave me five minutes of your time, I would be saying this, but I really appreciate your time. Oh, David, thank you so much. And you asked me wonderful questions and allowed me to tell my story. And, and thank you so very much. And, and also thank you for telling me that it's personal for you. I'm so glad to know that you, you were watching. Thank you very much. I was watching it all, all these years. And you've just, thank you so much for everything you do. And just thank you. And I really enjoyed speaking to you. Everyone needs to follow you online. I'll keep my fingers crossed for this Kelly Ripa, Mark Consuelos, Erica Kane, and Hopefully we'll be speaking soon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, David. Take care. You too. Take good care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, 
We're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.